Sermon number 613, Subtle Sins of Soured Saints, preached in the First Presbyterian Church of Bakerstown on Sunday, July 23, 1972. The text is taken from the parable of the prodigal son, Luke 15, verses 11 through 32. A very familiar parable Luke, the 15th chapter, beginning to read at the 11th verse. Jesus went on to say there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me now my share of the property. So the father divided the property between the two sons. And after a few days, the younger son sold his part of the property and left home with the money. He went to a country far away where he wasted his money in reckless living. He spent everything he had. Then a severe famine spread over that country and he was left without a thing. So he went to work for one of the citizens of that country who sent him out to his farm to take care of the pigs. He wished he could fill himself with the bean pods the pigs ate, but no one gave him any. And at last he came to his senses and said, All my father's hired workers have more than they can eat, and here I am about to starve. I will get up and go to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against God and against you. I am no longer fit to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired workers. So he got up and he started back home to his father, and he was still a long way from home when his father saw him. And the father's heart was filled with pity, and he ran through his arms around his son and kissed him. Father, the son said, I have sinned against God and against you. I am no longer fit to be called your son. But the gracious father called his servants. Hurry, he said, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet. Then go get the prized calf and kill it and let us celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead. Now he is alive. He was lost, but now he's been found. And so the feasting began. Now the older son, in the meanwhile, was out in the field. And on his way back, when he came close to the house, he heard the music and the dancing, and he called one of the servants and asked him, What's going on? Your brother came back home, the servant answered, and your father killed the prized calf because he got him back safe and sound. The older brother was so angry that he would not go into his own house. So his father came out and begged him to come in. Look, he asked, answered back to his father, All these years I have worked like a slave for you, and not once did I disobey an order of yours. But what have you given me? Not even a goat for me to have a feast with my friends. 
But this son of yours wasted all your property on prostitutes, and when he comes back home, you kill the prize calf for him. My son, the father answered, you are always at home, and everything I have is yours. But we have to have a feast and be happy, for your brother who is dead is now alive. He was lost, but now he has been found. This parable which Jesus told is known to most of us as the story or the parable of the prodigal son. But when you read it, you suddenly realize it is really the parable about two sons, both prodigals. The youngest son is one who first appears as a swinging sinner who eventually becomes saved. And the second son seems to us at first to be a very serious saint who eventually becomes sour. Now, it doesn't take too much imagination to easily see the sins of the younger son. When we look at him and try to examine him from a psychological and moral point of view, we see him as being callous, careless, conceited, carefree, casual, and content on doing his own thing. And you know the story. He went to a far country after he obtained his share of the father's inheritance, and there he spent everything he had in reckless living. And a famine came over that far country, and this man was without food, without friends, without home. He had nothing. And he hired himself out as a servant, and he got a job as a feeder of pigs. Now, to a Jew, this would be scandalous. For even to this day, a Jew is not allowed to feed upon pork, let alone feed pigs. But this was his job in order to eat. The Bible says that he would have been happy even to receive some of the garbage in the slops that the slop that pigs eat. But nobody would even give him such. And while he was down in the pigsty, he came to himself and he realized that many of his hired, his father's hired servants back home had more to eat than did he. And he thought, I will go back to my father. And I will sincerely say, Father, I have sinned in your sight and against the sight of God in heaven. Please forgive me. I am not worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired servants. And the younger son got up out of the pig pen. He started on his way back every step of the way, carefully rehearsing his speech. 
And the Bible tells us that when the son was still a far way from home, the father who had continuously hoped and waited for the son's return saw the son when he was still way down the road, and he ran out to greet the son. And hardly had this young prodigal gotten the rehearsed speech from his lips when the father said, Hurry! Hurry! Calling to a servant. Get the best robe and put it on his back. Put a ring on his finger and shoes on his feet and kill the fatted calf. For this son of mine who was lost is now found. He who was dead is now alive. We have a beautiful story about how God is willing to save sinners. But that's not the end of the parable. The parable is less than halfway through at that particular point. A man had two sons. And here Jesus introduces into the story the second son, the eldest son, the son who looks like a saint in the beginning, but the son who turns up to be very solid. We see this man, and you cannot help but admire such an individual, unlike his conceited selfish brother. He is an individual who is very conscientious. He is consistently a hard, hard worker. He completed every job. He had controlled conduct. And should he was considered a fine, upstanding citizen. He is the type of boy from outward appearance that all of your, your mothers would like your daughters to wed. I'm sure many people, though they may not have said it, thought of him as almost a saint. This boy never left home. This boy was content to stay home, working, being good not wasting his life and his material possessions on reckless living. Look, when the younger son comes home, where is the elder prodigal? It was a work day, and he was out in the fields working. And when he was coming in, he suddenly heard the familiar strains of popular songs being played by the orchestra. He heard the light laughter of female voices. He probably smelt the strong, savory aroma of, of the baking fatty calf. And he asked, what's going on? And when one of the servants said, your brother who was lost is back home, the one who we thought was dead He's alive. Your father has killed the fatted calf, and we are having a party come in and join with us. 
Now, you would expect that a person who was as saintly as this elder son, he would have run in, perhaps washed his hands, perhaps not thrown his arms around his sinning brother who was now saved. He would have rejoiced in the happiness of the moment. He would have joined in the celebration, but no, no. This saint did nothing of the sort. He didn't go into his own home. He stayed out in the field, and there he remains until the end of the parable. And there we see him frustrated, furious, filled with anger. And that somewhat takes us back, because that's not the way we think saints are supposed to act. And when you read this parable, you begin to ask yourself the question, why? How come? What has happened that this saint has become sour? And ladies and gentlemen, when you and I ask the question, what has happened? How come? I really think that we, at that point in the story, are doing exactly what Jesus wants us to do and anticipated would do. He wants us to ask such questions. He wants us to try and investigate why there is such a change in such a wonderful person. He wants us to be able to see, just as he wanted his disciples in that day, as well as those of us who call ourselves his disciples in this day, to recognize the fact once and for all that whereas the serious sins that are committed by those people who are spectacularly saved are never very much of a secret to anyone and open for all to know, the sins which tempt the saints are always suffering. He wanted the saints in his day and the saints in this day to be aware of the fact that such people are continuously tempted with subtle sins. He wants the saints of this day to recognize the fact that unless they know how to deal and can recognize the sins which are so subtle, their saintliness is going to become soured in the presence of God and before their fellow man. He wants those people who are looked upon as being strong, as being conscientious, as being hard, conscientious workers, the people who have the ability somehow to be stronger and perhaps appear better than other people, those who are looked upon as being supposed since in the world today. He wanted people who are blessed with such a blessing to be conscious 
But there are subtle sins which can ruin our saintliness. That's one reason why I told this story. And he continues in the story to try, I think, to show us what some of these subtle sins can be. The first one he points out to me is the subtle sin that many a saint participates in when he begins to think that the blessings which he has and other people possess are not a gift of God from whom all blessings do come, but rather have really been earned by our own merit. You see, that was the trouble with the elder son. He never thought in terms of gifts. Always he thought in terms of things that he personally had earned. He never really concentrated too much upon what wonderful things his father had given him. Instead, he was always trying to think in terms of what he had earned from his father. He never really gave it too much thought and came to the profound realization that the home in which he lived, the fields in which he worked, the flocks that he tended, and the servants that he led, that all of these things and people had belonged to his father before they belonged to him, and they were his simply because the father had given them as a gift of inheritance. He really thought that all the things that he had in this life, he had really earned through his hard work and his devotion and his saintliness. He never stopped to realize as do many of the saints in the world today, that the ability even to work, that was a gift. The opportunity to be concerned and caring and conscientious, that was a gift. The privilege to become a good citizen and to have a complimentary conduct, that was a gift. And instead of looking at these things as gifts from his father, he thought of them only as wages which he had rightfully earned. And because he remained consistent in that frame of thought, when the same father the same loving father who had given him so much chose out of a very loving heart to give his younger sinful brother a little, a little fatted calf. The elder prodigal became very angry because, you see, he could not see that as a gift from the father. He saw that only as something which his younger brother did not earn. And because of it, he could not join in the happiness 
in the great feeling of joy that is to come to our world when God blesses any one of us with gifts which come from his hand. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. But the elder prodigal couldn't find that. He couldn't see it. And because he believed that his blessings were a reward for what he had earned instead of a benevolent gift from his father, his saintliness begins to stink and become sour. Also, the subtle sin of refusing to look upon another as being your brother. That's something that can ruin one's saintliness. You see, this particular boy, the elder prodigal, he never liked to think of that sinner as being his brother, which he was. Notice the words in the scriptural text and in the story. Catch the conversation which Jesus tells. Everything this elder son does is to try to disassociate himself from such a horrible person as his own brother. He never refers to this person as being my brother. In talking with the father, he always calls his brother your son. When the younger brother was on his road to hell in some far off country, it probably wouldn't have done any good. But you don't find this elder brother going after his younger brother to try and win him back for the sake of sanity and usefulness? You almost get the feeling that this elder brother was happy when the younger brother went away. Otherwise, I don't know why it had been so unhappy when the younger brother came back home. He was probably one of those individuals who thought that the further he could push down his brother, the more he would be elevating himself. He refused to look upon that other one as being his brother. You know, this happens so often among saintly people, he's even in a church. Those who have been richly blessed and are a part of the called and the committed often have a tendency to look down upon those individuals who look differently, who act differently, who think differently, and who do not appear as saintly. And they do everything within their power to try and disassociate themselves from such sinners. That's not the way a saint behaves. As the song tells us, we help that man because he's my brother. And until those of us who have been saved from our sins begin to realize that we are all God's children and that each one of us is precious in the sight of the Almighty, and that our responsibility is not to look down upon our fellow man, 
but rather to join them side by side and with our money, with our tithes, with our gifts, and with our lives. We are willing to share what we have. Then we shall never be the saints that God called us to be. And in the eyes of those upon whom we look down, we will have nothing but a feeling of their resentment and scorn for that type of saintliness. So, saints, be careful. Be careful. And above all, I think what was wrong with this particular elder prodigal was that he refused to love at home. He forgot to love at home, to work at love. Oh, he worked out in the fields. But he forgot to work at love in his home. You see, you can give all of your time to the church. You can give all your money to the poor. But unless you work at love in your own home, you become as nothing more than sounding brass and clanging cymbals and a soured saint. More good is done for the kingdom of God by the way you act in your home than ever is one in the church of Jesus Christ. Dr. Clovis Chapel, who is one of the most outstanding preachers in my estimation that we have in America today, tells a story that I don't think I'll ever forget. It was about a minister friend of his who had a small charge, and in that church was a very wealthy woman who was a very loyal member. She gave much money to the church. She was very influential. She was a leader, and many people thought without her presence the church could not exist. She was married to a wonderful man who was a merchant, but he never came to church. He never joined the membership of the church. And as does happen in so many cases, the pastor and the merchant became close friends. And one day when they were out fishing, the preacher said to the merchant, How come you have never made your confession of faith in Jesus Christ and joined the church? Preacher, I don't want you to think that I am complaining. But in, my, in your church, my wife is one of the most active members. She's a wonderful person, but at home she has a violent temper. When she gets on the warpath, the children and I have to take to the hills. And as far as I'm concerned, I cannot become a part of that type of Christianity. The preacher was sorry to hear this. He did not know what to do. He went to see the woman. And he felt that he was going to become the recipient of her wrath. But instead, when he told her the problem, she says, He's right. I do have a horrible temper. The two of them discussed the fruits of the Spirit, which are love, joy, peace, meekness, kindness, self-control. And together they prayed that this Spirit of God would enter into this woman's life. A few days later, the father and the son were about to go fishing. And uh, the father rather awkwardly brought a six-foot bamboo pole into the living room. And just a few days before that, they had hung in the midst of the ceiling a very expensive, antique, beautiful chandelier. And in turning around to leave the room, you guessed it, the bamboo pole hit the antique lamp. It sounded like 
a 14-story hardware store collapsing in an earthquake, and the man stood there shaking in his boots, waiting for the real fury to begin. Nothing came. He turned around. He thought perhaps his wife was absent, but there she was standing, and though there was a glint of controlled anger in her eye, there was an attempt of a smile on her face. The man joined church the next Sunday. And this, you see, is the way it happens in life. And one of the reasons that Jesus told this particular parable to us was so that all the world could know that not only the sinners need to be saved and can be saved through Jesus Christ, but also to help those who are called saints never to become soured because of subtle sins. Amen. Father, we're very thankful for all that you have given. Bless us, we pray thee, as we attempt to be your people in the world today. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the communion of his Holy Spirit be and abide with you all now and forevermore. Amen.